Book the Fifth, Part Six of A Laodicean by Thomas Hardy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Book the Fifth, Part Six. On leaving the hotel, Somerset's first impulse was to get out of sight of its windows, and his glance upward had perhaps not the tender significance that Paula imagined. The last look impelled by any such a whiff of emotion having been the lingering one he bestowed upon her in passing out of the room. Unluckily for the prospects of this attachment, Paula's conduct towards him now, as a result of misrepresentation, had enough in common with her previous silence at Nice to make it unreasonable as a further development of that silence. Moreover, her social position as a woman of wealth, always felt by Somerset as a perceptible bar to that full and frank eagerness with which he would fain have approached her, rendered it impossible for him to return to the charge ascertain the reason of her coldness, and dispel it by an explanation, without being suspected of mercenary objects. Continually does it happen that a genial willingness to bottle up affronts is set down to interested motives by those who do not know what generous conduct means. Had she occupied the financial position of Mr. Sancy, he would readily have persisted further, and, not improbably, have cleared up the cloud. Having no further interest in Karlsruhe, Somerset decided to leave by an evening train. The intervening hour he spent in wandering into the thick of the fair, where steam roundabouts, the proprietors of waxwork shows, and fancy stall keepers maintained a deafening din. The animated environment was better than silence, for it fostered in him an artificial indifference to the events that had just happened an indifference which, though he too well knew it was only destined to be temporary, afforded a passive period wherein to store up strength that should enable him to withstand the wear and tear of regrets which would surely set in soon. It was the case with Somerset, as with others of his temperament, that he did not feel a blow of this sort immediately, and what often seemed like stoicism after misfortune was only the neutral numbness of transition from palpitating hope to assured wretchedness. He walked round and round the fair till all the exhibitors knew him by sight, and when the sun got low he turned to the Erprinzerstrasse, now raked from end to end by ensaffroned rays of level light. Seeking his hotel, he dined there, and left by the evening train for Heidelberg. Heidelberg, with its romantic surroundings, was not precisely the place calculated to heal Somerset's wounded heart. He had known the town of Yore, and his recollections of that period, when, unfettered in fancy, he transferred to his sketchbook the fine Renaissance details of the Otto Heinrichsbau, came back with unpleasant force. He knew of some carved cask heads and other curious woodwork in the castle cellars, copies of which, being unobtainable by photographs, he had intended to make, if all went well, between Paula and himself. The zest for this was now well nigh over. But on awaking in the morning and looking up the valley towards the castle, and at the dark green height of the Kongichstuhl alongside, he felt that to become vanquished by a passion, driven to suffer, fast, and pray in the dull pains and vapours of despised love, was a contingency not to be welcomed too readily. Thereupon he set himself to learn the sad science of renunciation, which everybody has to learn in his degree, either rebelling throughout the lesson, or, like Somerset, 
taking to it kindly by force of judgment. A more obstinate pupil might have altogether escaped the lesson in the present case by discovering its illegality. Resolving to persevere in the heretofore satisfactory paths of art, while life and faculties were left, though every instinct must proclaim that there would be no longer any collateral attraction in their pursuit, he went along under the trees of the Anlager and reached the castle vaults, in whose cool shades he spent the afternoon, working out his intentions with fair result. When he had strolled back to his hotel in the evening, the time was approaching for the table d'hôte. Having him seated himself rather early, he spent the few minutes of waiting in looking over his pocket-book, and putting a few finishing touches to the afternoon performance, while the objects were fresh in his memory. Thus occupied, he was but dimly conscious of the customary rustle of dresses and pulling up of chairs by the crowd of other diners as they gathered around him. Serving began, and he put away his book and prepared for the meal. He had hardly done this when he became conscious that the person on his left hand was not the typical cosmopolite with boundless hotel knowledge and irrelevant experiences that he was accustomed to find next him, but a face he recognised as that of a young man whom he had met and talked to at Stancy Castle Garden Party, whose name he had now forgotten. This young fellow was conversing with somebody on his left hand, no other personage than Paula herself. Next to Paula he beheld Distancy, and Distancy's sister beyond him. It was one of those gratuitous encounters which only happen to discarded lovers who have shown commendable stoicism under disappointment, as if on purpose to reopen and aggravate their wounds. It seemed as if the intervening traveller had met the other party by accident there and then. In a minute he turned and recognised Somerset, and by degrees the young men's cursory remarks to each other developed into a pretty regular conversation interrupted only when he turned to speak to Paula on his left hand. "'Your architectural advisor travels in your party. How very convenient!' said the young tourist to her. "'Far pleasanter than having a medical attendant in one's train!' Somerset, who had no distractions on the other side of him, could hear every word of this. He glanced at Paula. She hadn't known of his presence in the room till now. Their eyes met for a second and she bowed sedately. Somerset returned her bow, and her eyes were quickly withdrawn with scarcely visible confusion. Mr. Somerset is not travelling with us, she said. We have met by accident. Mr. Somerset came to me on business a little while ago. I must congratulate you on having put the castle into good hands, continued the enthusiastic young man. I believe Mr. Somerset is quite competent, said Paula stiffly. To include Somerset in the conversation, the young man turned to him and added, You carry on your work at the castle, Conamore, no doubt. There is work I should like better, said Somerset. Indeed? The frigidity of his manner seemed to set her at ease by dispersing all fear of a scene, and alternate dialogues of this sort with the gentlemen in their midst were more or less continued by both Paula and Somerset till they rose from table. In the bustle of moving out, the two latter for one moment stood side by side. Miss Power, said Somerset in a low voice that was obscured by the rustle, you have nothing more to say to me? I think there is nothing more, said Paula, lifting her eyes with longing reticence. Then I take leave of you, 
and tender my best wishes that you may have a pleasant time before you. I set out for England tonight. With a special photographer, no doubt. It was the first time that she had addressed Somerset with a meaning distinctly bitter, and her remark, which had reference to the forged photograph, fell, of course, without its intended effect. No, Miss Power, said Somerset gravely, but with a deeper sense of woman's thoughtless trifling than time will ever eradicate. Is not that a mistake? she asked in a voice that distinctly trembled. A mistake? How? I mean, do you not forget many things? throwing on him a troubled glance. A woman may feel herself justified in her conduct, although it admits of no explanation. I don't contest the point for a moment. Goodbye. Goodbye. They parted amid the flowering shrubs and caged birds in the hall, and he saw her no more. Astancy came up and spoke a few commonplace words, his sister having gone out, either without perceiving Somerset or with intention to avoid him. That night, as he had said, he was on his way to England. End of Book the Fifth Part 6